just because we think it's interesting doesn't mean the person listening thinks it's interesting. You can say your brand is whatever. You could say you're hardworking. You could say you're ambitious. You can be able to do that. But if other people don't see you do it, then that's not your brand anymore. From a restaurant standpoint, I mean, all we do in the restaurant space is, is look at transactions. Why haven't like the Uniteds and the Deltas and the Americans uh, of the world just recruited whoever's running social for like Wendy's and Taco Bell? Hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. It is a crazy time for entrepreneurs. The supply chain is causing issues for so many folks out there right now, things that we never even really assumed were a problem. And, you know, to win right now, it's it's simple, as my co-host Paul Singh likes to say, you just need to outwork your competitors. Oh, I don't think that's true, though. I, like, I think it's simple, um, but I don't think it's about outwork. I think it's about picking the right thing and then really just nailing that. So I, I want to get away from this whole hustle porn boil the ocean kind of thing that <laughs> permeates the entrepreneurial community because that that's just not smart <laughs> we're 30 seconds in and paul has already used hustle porn i love it uh so when you're sitting there right now man and you're thinking about the way the landscape looks um you know we were we were talking offline before we hopped on the show about uh you know, about your, your tweet on the three rules that, that you're, that you're waking up every day and thinking about. And I think that, um, you know, when I, when I read your tweet about it, it was one of those things where, uh, like I nodded my head through all of them and yet I've known you for, I don't know how many years now, and I've never heard you frame it this way. Well, clearly that's because you haven't been listening closely enough because <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I talk I, about I, these I, ideas often. Um, so yeah, I, I tweeted about this uh, this thing I've been thinking about for years. I mean, probably decades now. Um, and I was actually surprised how many people, you know, picked up on it. I got a lot of DMs about it. But um, anyway, I, I have I, I tweeted about this idea that I think there's this game people play, in this invisible game that sort of defines how the world works. And and to be clear, before I go further here, I have no idea. Like I'm probably stealing ideas from other people that I don't remember. But so I, I'll just say that out in front. And I also don't have any empirical evidence to say that these are the three rules for, for everybody, but they've certainly worked for me. And for the people that I've like shared these ideas with over time, it seems to be working for them. So uh, the three rules are your brand personally and professionally isn't what you say you do. It's what other people believe. So that's rule number one. And we'll explain them here in a minute. So let me just go through the rules. Uh, rule number two is you never pick a fight with an elephant head on. And then rule number three is if you understand and address the hopes, fears, and dreams of the people across the table, you win. So those are the three rules of the invisible game. And I, I say that because I think the game, I'm doing air quotes here, the game that people talk about is this idea of hustle porn. Uh, gosh, if you just work hard enough, if you just outwork somebody else, if you just, uh, I don't know, put in a little bit more effort, you'll get there whatever that is, a promotion, a startup, a growth, whatever. But the invisible game is a little bit different. And I, and I think that uh, that's not to say that hard work isn't important, by the way. You can't be lazy and be successful. But it's just that um, the invisible game is a little bit different. I think some of the most successful people I've kind of watched over the last decade or two, they sort of, whether they do it on purpose or not, I just kind of couldn't help but notice they do it a little different. So um, 
you know, about, let's just talk about rule number one, this whole idea of like brand isn't what people say or do, it's what other people believe. You know, I remember looking at like, as I, I'm not a brand guy, right? I'm an engineer by training. So I'm like, I didn't quite understand brand. Maybe I still don't now. Um, but I think a lot of people would say like, oh, this is our brand. or This is my brand. I am X, I am Y. And, and they like somehow assume that maybe, or imply that by saying that everybody else will now see them that way. But the truth is like, you can say it and now people will like hold you to that brand or whatever. But then if you let them down or if you like what you actually do matters, I guess that's my point with rule number one is that you can say your brand is whatever you could say you're hardworking. You could say you're ambitious. You can do all these, but if other people don't see you do it, then that's not your brand anymore. And I think at the very least, the key idea here, you know, as I ramble is that uh, if you understand that your brand is how people perceive you, then like that should affect the way you either set your brand, like you either need to lower those expectations or you need to like in your actions totally outdo them. Uh, this applies again as a company or as an individual uh, or whatever. And the second thing, never pick a fight with an elephant head on. I mean, I think that all these things apply personally and professionally, but like, you know, you never really see um, any sort of success like going against an incumbent head on. Um, you know, it's just, that's just a war of attrition usually. Um, you know, you're better off trying to find like sort of the, the, you know, the chinks in the armor and coming in from the side. You know, the, what's the, the old cliche is, you know, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> and I know this sounds crazy, but like, there's this other idea we have on the sheet about, you know, uh, you know how we got stuck at airport and, you know, why aren't the airlines doing some interesting stuff with, I don't want to like let that one out of the bag, but this is an example of that where it's like, you know, don't pick a fight. Like if, if somebody's like your gatekeeper, you don't like get past the gatekeeper by like insulting them. <laughs> You've got to find another way. Uh, there might be an incumbent in your industry that is much bigger than you. You are not going to do well to go head on with them, but maybe you go through the side by, by exploiting their unhappiest customers or exploiting some new customer acquisition channel that they don't know how to do yet. Right? So that, that's what I mean by that second one. Uh, and then the last thing, and arguably I think the most important of these three rules is this idea that if you understand the hopes, fears, and dreams of the people across the table, you win. Again, personally or professionally, we're all dealing with people on the other side of the table, whether it's somebody that could give you a promotion, somebody that could be one of your customers. And the, the, the best way to just interpret this rule is just to say that everybody seems to just talk about features like, or, or hustle. Like, I'll do X, Y, and Z, and gosh, I wish you'd give me a promotion. Or uh, our features are X, Y, and Z. That's why you should pay us, you know? But look, you know, on the other side of that table, for example, let's say you're in B2B sales. On the other side of that table is probably an HR rep that is the buyer that wants to, you know, uh, not fail. So like, I'll just use, you know, maybe our corporate wellness business as an example, right? We sell corporate wellness uh, stuff to HR company or HR divisions around the country. And, um, you know, one of the things we try to remember is even though what we provide is is a is a, you know, something that the employees that are parents, like the, the, the underlying employees of that company are the, are the people that are going to open that box that we send. Right. But the buyer is something different. The buyer who signs the check, who agrees to let 
bump health sort of, you know, do this, they're thinking, gosh, I don't want to get fired. Is this a good like bet? You know, the, well, anyway, you know, that the old, the, the old adage is nobody ever got fired for buying Microsoft. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, 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 well, I'm older than you. So it was nobody ever got fired for buying Maytag, but yes. Or that, right. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's kind of what this is. Like, if you really think about that statement, it's like, yeah, these people are like buying when they, when they think about whether to buy your solution as a corporation or not, it's not about who has the best solution. It's who's going to, who's least likely to let them down. And I think that's what this rule three is super important. Uh, why I think rule three is even more important than the other two is that like, if people just uh, took the time to figure out how those people across the table think, like what their hopes, fears, and dreams are, just speak to that. You know, you want to be less risky if you're selling into the corporate uh, world. You want to be, anyway, I'll stop there. Well, yeah. I, when you talk about rule three, one of the things that pops into my head when you think about addressing the, the hopes, fears, and dreams of the people you win, it sort of also goes back a bit to me for, you know, number two about never pick a fight with an elephant head on. And I remember back in the mid two thousands, we were, you know, we were in the restaurant space still are. Uh, but back then we saw that there were a lot of, a lot of restaurants that really struggled with their point of sale systems. Um, and there were just limitations that have been around for decades. And, you know, we, we said that we thought that there were some problems that we could solve uh, not, not to like replace point of sale, but like small things that we could start to do as SAS was becoming, easier to you know to to build and write code and get things out there quickly and stuff like that and i remember when we when we looked at this about how we wanted to try and create some things we we're trying to create like a, a like a virtual wallet you know, almost like an apple pay before there was really apple pay but it was really just supposed to be for restaurants and i remember the time thinking like i looked at you know the dominant player in the space back then was a company called micros micros fidelio mm -hmm. um had thousands and thousands of point of sale installs around the world and you know hotels and all that stuff um, and I remember one interesting fact that I, I found when I started researching those companies was the number two company at that point, uh, I don't remember what their official name was back then, but it was a, a company called uh, Radiant uh, Point of Sale and a bunch of mergers and all that stuff. So they're part of Aloha and a bunch of other stuff, which really isn't relevant more in terms of like the number one and number two. The number one player in the market, Micros, their research and development budget as a publicly held company was larger than the number two player's gross revenue for the year. And so to your comment about never picking a fight with an elephant head on, we said like, look, if we're going to create this little product, we don't really want to flaunt that we're trying to take on micros. Cause if micros turns around and realizes that we're trying to eat some small part of their lunch, they yep. can crush us because they've got yep. millions and millions of dollars just sitting there waiting to research something. We need to be tactical and we need to find a way to just create something that can be a recurring transaction for restaurant owners that would save them money. And they're like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm not looking to replace your point of sale system. I'm looking to kill a pain point and save you five or 10 hours of paperwork a week. So why don't you pay us, you know, 10 bucks a month and, you know, for every one of your locations. And, and we're just going to be this little thing over here that doesn't interfere with your point of sale system. Yep. 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 I mean, I, I think like that, that actually is an interesting, you know, um, example, by the way, too, right? Because uh, and what, I think in one of our earlier episodes, we talked about this idea that uh, for a lot of these sort of offline industries, like, like the, the biggest opportunity I think in the next 10 years is really going to be uh, the, what, what I sort of call the intersection of online and offline. And, and what I mean by that is, is what you just talked about, this example of, of, of restaurants, you know, I mean, you know way more about this than I do, but uh, when you look at the point of sales these days, here we are in September or October of 2021, where it's like, you know, toast and upserve or breadcrumb and all these other things. And I look at these tools and I, you know, I've never owned a, 
or run a bar or run a restaurant or anything like that. But man, I look at these things and it's like, it, it clearly to me looks like, you know, somebody outside the industry sort of created this thing and like mm-hmm. shoved it into the, into the restaurant. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I think I saw, uh, was it toast that went public a week or two ago and, you know, multi-billion dollar valuation. Uh, so, so people are going to say like, well, Paul, you know, the, even though they just shoved it in, they're worth a lot of money. That That is absolutely true. But I'm just saying, if you really took the time to understand those hopes, fears, and dreams, and you took your tech skills and built it from the inside of those restaurants or the inside of those bars, I don't know, like, if 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 somebody like Toast can come in from the outside and make something worth that much money by pushing what I think looks like a very clunky thing, uh, then then, you know, Gosh, somebody from the inside could do much more. Uh, sorry, I'll give you one example, by the way. Like I was just talking to one of my buddies who owns a, a bunch of bars. Um, and I just happened to be looking over his shoulder at one of the, the morning reports he looks at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was interesting as you scroll through, you know, it, it gives them a high, I think, I think that point of sale was maybe breadcrumb or something like that. But anyway, what caught my eye as I was looking over his shoulder is it said something like five employees clocked out with auto close. Yep. And yep. I was like, what is that? He said, well, oh yeah, yeah. Then, you know, at the end of the night, it just closes. I was like, well, why don't they just clock out? He's like, oh, well, you know, it just auto closes them anyway. And I was like, but you as a manager, do you know, like, did they stay, did they stay the whole time? He's like, oh, I, I don't know. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Like, like maybe it's not a big deal, but like, what? Like, well, actually the next thing that really interested me was he has, you know, every, you know, uh, you're supposed to t- type in your, your um, server number to then, mm-hmm. I guess, create a check or open a check what i thought was interesting was the majority of the sales were like pos1 pos2 uh handheld seven and i was like well wait a second so why do you have ids for people when they're just using the generic login anyway he's like oh it's just too hard these aren't tech savvy people i don't know where i'm going with this other than to say that it sort of felt like there were a lot of extra features built into this thing but the people inside the bar needed like less than 10% of those features. (laughs) Well, I think it's, I understand what you're saying. I will clarify it. It's not that they don't, it's not that they only need 10% of the features. It's that the juice isn't worth the squeeze. The time it takes to set up at a typical point of sale system is painful. So take your example of people clocking out. Well, you know, I've said for years, like why can't a point of sale system have a report that tells me in the morning who hasn't clocked out? Like, why do I have to go hunt for it? Why can't mm-hmm. I just get a notification that says, yeah. hey, here's your four employees. Like there's a report and it exists in every point of sale system, but there's a number of steps I have to set up to have the system tell me that in some way that's in my face. So that when yeah. I show up in the morning, my dashboard says, hey, you have five people didn't clock out last night, as opposed to having to sort of like plunk through a bunch of screens or go dig up a report or things like that. Yep. And when we think about the way that a lot of the SaaS companies that you and I know are built, yep. you know, like yep. the like if you think about like the the typical like, Google Analytics dashboardish sort of thing. Like it has all of your critical pieces right there in front of you. Like, hey, here are the numbers I need to work on today. You know what? I, and for you know, for restaurant folks, it's different. For Bump Health, it's different. Like everybody has their dashboard. Um, the the problem is, is that in in as you say, in this intersection of online and offline, in a lot of these typical offline sort of businesses like restaurants, the dashboards that they get are so poorly built for what these people actually need because most of them don't sit down with you know, your friend who's a restaurant guy and say like, Hey, like, what do you want on your dashboard? Like what mm-hmm. would be 10, what would be 10 really cool things? Um, they go look at what reports are 
you know, most often used in the system and just assume that must be what every restaurant owner needs. When in reality, a lot of the smaller reports that they can't find or don't know how to pull are really the key information that they need. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's like, it's like there's never been more technology available to brick and mortar businesses, but it's also all glued together these days with, you know, spreadsheets, Zapier, and and duct tape to be honest and so i think that that's the real opportunity to your point i think that's the real opportunity of the next couple of years now is like you know how do you create maybe either a, a deeper smoother integration across all these different things that are available or build it from the inside out i don't know well it'll be interesting to see um but you know i think for tech enabled people people that have like built you know let's just call air quotes online companies or whatever you know like wherever you go out to eat this weekend uh look at them from the inside and just see you know how you know if there is an opportunity there because i really do think there is something that, that actually kind of is an interesting segue to one of the other topics we you know we put on the list here is this 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 notion of like a north star um i i, I think it, this is going to seem obvious to a lot of people but um you know maybe i'll be able to make the point uh here we'll see the the thing is like I think it's so interesting to me how many people make the common mistake of spreading themselves too thin. Um, you know, like I think in one of the earlier podcasts we did, uh, uh, we answered somebody from Twitter that asked this question of how do you go from zero to a million in sales? Yep. And um, like, it's so interesting to me that like so many entrepreneurs overthink the whole thing. Uh, so for example, when when bump boxes was sort of the first thing growing into bump health right um you know we were we were very we were very uh, unemotional about this idea that we called the north star like transactions are all that matter like if you can't move that trans that average daily transaction from zero to one every day there's no point in in thinking about what it'll look like much you know when it's much bigger and if you couldn't figure out how to systematically move it from an average of you know, let's call it one transaction a day to, to 10 and then from 10 a day to 100. Like you had to think about that and be sort of unemotionally attached to any ideas that come up or any projects that come up. And again, I know that people listening to this are probably like, but Paul, that's so obvious. And I don't disagree, but just, you don't have to scroll far down Twitter to see like entrepreneurs saying like, oh, what's the new platform we should try or what should we do? You know, like, or they'll or or they'll complain about like how many things they have to do in a given day, and it's like, well, n- no, I mean that that should tell you like you're spreading yourself too thin, you know. Anyway, uh, uh, this is actually a little plug, by the way. So I um, behind the scenes for the last couple uh, years, I've actually been working on this. Uh, so I, when I was starting to build this up, I um, knew that transactions were all that mattered, and I sort of built a team around me that only focused on those transactions. And then I built a culture and a company like that did, did all that. Right. And I built a little Chrome extension that only really worked for me originally, where it would just pull my Google analytics e-commerce data. Yeah. I saw that. Every time I open a tab, it would just, that's the first thing it would show me is what today's transactions were. And then I've just, honestly, it's been on my browser for years. I mean, it's such a crappy little plugin. And then, um, more recently, uh, somebody I know happened to look over my shoulder and was like, what is that thing? And I was like, oh yeah, it's this thing, whatever. And 
uh, he's like, oh man, I want to use it. And it, re- it dawned on me at that point that maybe I should just like open source or uh, make it a free thing or whatever. So anyway, I'm almost at the point where it's ready to kind of launch into the Chrome store. I think I'm going to call it North Star. Honestly, it's nothing special. The, but the idea here is, is that it, it helped me just stay focused on the transactions. So every time I opened a new tab, I wanted to know how many transactions have I had, you know, uh, today and how does that compare to the average daily transactions of the last seven days, the last month and the last year. And it, for me, worked out really well because it, it just kept me focused. And every time I'd get off track and open a tab, whether it was like to doom scroll through social, this was like my, (laughs) you know, my, my sort of reminder that like I kind of had to get back to work. And so anyway, I think I'm going to call it North star. I don't know, but, um, yeah, hopefully by the time this thing's published or this, this podcast is published, hopefully it'll be available. It's going to be free. You know, it's all secure and all that stuff. And I won't have access to your data. It's all stored on your laptop or on your browser there. But, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll help other, uh, it's primarily designed for other like e-commerce stores. So we'll just kind of see, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what people say. Uh, but, but growing your company is not easy, but it is very simple. Just pick that one North star and just stay laser focused on it. The world wants to distract you. The internet wants to distract you and you have to like actively fight that to stay focused. Well, and you say it's obvious, um, and, and you're right. And I, and I do still think that so many companies miss it. And, you know, in reference to the plugin where you're talking about, you know, e-commerce specifically, uh, you know, makes a hundred percent sense, but it also goes both more offline and more online. So like from a restaurant standpoint, I mean, all we do in the restaurant space is, is look at transactions and certainly we're trying to increase them, but we're also trying to increase the size of them. You know, Hey, you know, the, the old McDonald's adage of how do I get you to order fries and a drink with your burger? Well, I package them all together. And then on the, you know, on the, on the online model, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a travel writer. Um, I'm a podcaster. So we're looking at, you know, Hey, how do we, how do we get somebody to read, you know, to click on three or four different stories instead of, um, you know, one when they're on my site or from a podcasting standpoint, how do we get folks to, to, you know, the, like the average dwell time for podcasts is about 48% uh, according to industry statistics. That means that most of the people listening to a, an average podcast will listen to half of it. And so if that's our transaction here. Then my North star is, how do I get you to listen to 60% of this podcast and then 70% and then 80%? I mean, I'm, you know, we're putting out the whole episode. I don't want you to stop halfway. And I think that, I think people, and I, I use podcasting cause we're just, we're here recording right now. I think, I think a lot of podcasts are focusing on, you know, Hey, I want to put out a great show that my friends tell me sounds good and looks great. Maybe I get some Twitter reshares and all that stuff. And that's all cool and stuff. And downloads are valuable as well as a statistic, but, at the end of the day, I mean, like there are millions of iPhones all across the country that are downloading podcasts automatically, um, you know, in various players. But are people actually listening? Um, and so I think, you know, defining what a transaction is for your business and, and what it means to succeed, I think is critically important. Agreed. Uh, and maybe I'm going to like, you know, uh, take this the direction it may not want to go, but I'll just say that I, I think that you know, just listen to what you just said there. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Like, just listen Uh-oh. to what you said there. It's like, I want people to listen to 60% or I want dwell time to be X. I want this. Or even sometimes other entrepreneurs say, I want more sales. I want more stuff. I don't know how to say this clearly, but what I'll just say is like, those, those goals are a byproduct of 
whether or not you add value to the listener or whether or not you yeah. add value to the customer. Um, now that doesn't seem like a groundbreaking and, and new novel idea. I admit that, but I think that, you know, um, it, it's important to th- like, let's just use the podcast analogy because that's what you used, right? Yeah. Uh, like if we want to drive dwell time up, we need to give people something worth listening to. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, you know, the Howard Stearns of the world would give you shock value and that's what drives their, you know, uh, I don't think shock up, right? value for in, in our case, like I'm hopeful that this, this, that this particular podcast is giving people tactical things they can do to grow right away. But maybe in the absence of that, maybe we're giving them an interesting viewpoint from, you know, two operators and two investors that might make them think about a problem they're dealing with a slightly different way. So, so all that to say though, that if you really do want to grow, uh, you know, whatever your metric is and you, you know, like if you know what your North star is, then it's important, I believe to then recognize that that North star is a sort of a proxy metric of whether you or not you actually add value to the underlying customer on the other side of that. Like, in other words, in my world, if I don't make a way for moms to have a safer and easier pregnancy, she will not uh, use any of our stuff. If I don't make her life easier and allow her to extract every dollar the insurance company owes her with like seven clicks, my, my, my bump medical business doesn't grow. So, so anyway, I, I, I'm not saying anything groundbreaking or novel or new, but I just think that people that talk about growing whatever their metric is, they don't talk about what's on the other side of that coin. Right. Yeah. And I think we'll use it. We'll use this podcast mentality again, just because we think it's interesting. Doesn't mean the person listening thinks it's interesting. And it's, it's you've got to be critical with yourself to say, Hey, like are people actually absorbing this? If not, I need to pivot and I need to figure out some other way to connect with my audience or connect with my customer. As you I said, agree. like if, if the mom doesn't get the value, why is she going to continue to use the, the product? And you know, I think I see so many, not not to belabor it on, on podcasters specifically, I just see so many that get into it and say, I don't understand why I can't get past 100 downloads. Like, I, you know, I don't understand, you know, what, what the issue is. And I, I think I would just say collectively, like the easy issue is if you're in any sort of a content production business and people aren't clicking, downloading, reading, whatever, you need to take a hard look at whatever it is you're producing. Um, you know, because it's, it's not resonating with people. And it sort of goes back to your three rules, um, you know, you know where, you know, your brand is what other people believe. If we believe that we're tactical and we're giving people great advice, but they never listen past the first five or six minutes, we're obviously not giving them great advice mm-hmm. or advice that they that they view is, is helpful or great for them. We always have this long list of stuff that we say we're going to go over each episode, and we're we're already almost thirty minutes in, and we're on topic number two and a half. Um, yeah. Well. So yeah. I, I'm cu- I'm curious. I, I I'm going to tee up two, and I'm going to let you pick which one we do next. Um, uh, do you want to talk about uh, you know Delta Airlines and you know large companies with with you know old stinky moats, or do you want to talk about the Aussie controversy? Okay, I was actually going to use what you just said there to 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 segue into that sort of Delta airlines, you know, moat thing, because I thought that might be an interesting way to kind of take that last part of the conversation a a little further. Um, so, uh, I don't exactly remember how this particular topic got on the, on the, uh, on the list, but I remember kind of what we talked about right before the show, um, in terms of the idea. So, you know, 
to what you just said, let's just kind of say, let's try to connect this idea, to, or this, this part to that last idea. So, you know, this idea of like, you know, being interesting, being useful, being, um, adding value to the listener, adding value to the customer. And if you could do that, then the proxy metric, your North star will move on its own. So uh, this particular idea was, um, again, I don't remember how this ended up on here, but I do remember what we talked about right before the show. And that was that, you know, um, why aren't, uh, airlines using things like social media complaints to just give a free seat on a similar route. Oh, I, I love that idea that you uh, came up with. You yeah. Know. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I can't remember exactly. Again, I, I apologize. I can't remember how this no, I'll, the list, I'll, I'll, I'll tee it up. So it was like, yeah, go, I, go, go, go. I'm, a, I'm a top tier Delta diamond elite member. And I called up because I had an issue with a ticket. Do you listen to yourself? I'm a top tier diamond elite. God, like who talks like that? I was I'm just kidding. trying to define for people what diamond is. Cause there's a, like, they use all these like plutonium and titanium. And so it's like, it used to always be like, you know, it was like silver, gold, platinum. And so everybody knew what it was. And now it's like, you know, I'm super titanium, plutonium elite. And it's like, God, well, that's like that? a mouthful. That's like, yeah. uh, I'm over here. I'm like, I'm one K. Yeah. Right. Well, that, yeah. But, but it's not, if you said to somebody, I'm a United one K and they're not a traveler, they don't actually know what that is. It's like, they're like, okay, was that, are you at the top of the pyramid or the bottom of the pyramid? So I'm just defining for people what they already know, which is well, on a travel on United 1K is still the bottom of the pyramid. So <laughs> yeah, but, but, but if you're 1K, they, they say, sir, when they screw you. So just, just to be clear. Oh, you go to the nice airports. Yeah. I don't even get that. Okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, like, so I call the, 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 the customer service line, which should have the shortest wait times because I'm a, uh, again, like Paul loves this phrase, I'm a top tier elite. So I, I, I should be the smallest group of people that produce the most revenue for them. Um, and the wait time is over three hours to get someone to call me back. Um, or I can wait on hold that whole time. And so, you know, like I, as I framed it to, to Paul, when it happened, it was, you know, like, I, you know, with these large incumbents that, you know, they have, you know, moats. And in this case with, you know, airlines, it's obviously hard to start an airline. You need lots of money. You need slots at airports. You need all these things. And so, you know, the, the age old question is like, can Delta get away with making their most valuable customers wait three hours to talk to someone on the phone? Um, and, you know, similarly, how could another business attack this? So could like, can they do this? I mean, look, you're, they did it to you and you're still there. All right. Right. So the answer is, can they do it? Yeah. Now, to, but to tie this idea back to like a couple of the other topics we talked about, like, for example, you know, not attacking an elephant head on, uh, or, or, or even this previous idea of like, you know, how to add value. Let's just say you were a upstart, you know, airline. Now I'm going to say this very carefully because I know you travel people or you <laughs> very travel particular people. Thank about, you. thank you for lumping you know, me right in there. <laughs> yeah. But, but here, like if let's just, let's just tie it together with like a, you know, a hypothetical example here. So if, 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 if I'm like a, upstart airline and I want to add value and I want to like build my business and I want to, you know, not attack Delta head on, uh, you know, uh, they've got the seven, three sevens and I've got like the 30 year old CRJ or whatever. Well, look, if I'm sitting on a route that let's just say it was a high volume route between X and Y locations. And I sit there and watch social media. Like I want to see for better or for worse, the people that complain and they at Delta, you know, you know, my flight is delayed, uh, you, you know, uh, DL flight number, whatever, like, come on guys. I'd watch that. And I don't know how often that happens, but at a high volume hub, I bet it happens a lot. And um, I know my plane's going no matter what, you know, and I'd be sitting there looking for those, those tweets or whatever. And I just offer the unbought or the open seats for free because the plane's going no matter what. 
and this is your chance now for to, for for getting people over. I, now, is that a great idea? I don't know, but maybe that way of thinking inspires like some ideas. Well, and I don't think you have to be a startup to think that way either in, in, a, in a market like this. I think you talk about it, you know, like, hey, I've got the smaller planes and I need to find ways to compete. But I mean, you know, I mean, I think like this is this was Delta's model when they came into Seattle to compete with Alaska Airlines. It was, you know, it was, hey, like, let's let's go eat their lunch and let's let's offer, you know, let's offer status to their, you know, top tier status members. To your point, like, I love the idea because all the airlines are on social media. Why wouldn't you try and pick off the people that are complaining about another airline? I mean, you know, t- typically those are, those are customers, you know, the customers that are taking the time to go out on Twitter and, and, and engage in airline directly, not just ranting about something that they're likely probably going to be somebody who flies more than once a year. Honestly, why hasn't, and maybe, maybe, you know, this why haven't like the Uniteds and the Deltas and the Americans uh, of the world just recruited whoever's running social for like Wendy's and Taco Bell? Yeah, you know, have, have you seen those like? Yeah, they don't. Sometimes Wendy's and yeah. Taco Bell will get into like fun fights with each other, and they just like start to bash each other. Like it's just hilarious. I mean, they're they're not doing it to be mean, but like somebody ought to recruit those people. Yeah, it's just never been something in the aviation industry in the U.S. Like it, it, like there's a few airlines that have a little fun on Twitter, Southwest, JetBlue to a lesser extent. Like those the guys have a little fun. But very rarely do they poke at uh, they poke at other airlines and and try to eat their lunch. But the, the, and maybe we'll talk more about this idea in the next episode. But just to plant the seed, th- there's this like framework that I use when I think about building new businesses. And so you know, with Bump Health, we're a collection of a couple different businesses, right? And so there's this framework that I'll just kind of hint at here, and we can talk about it more in one of the future episodes. But related to this idea. When I think about starting something new, um, the way I think about it is, is number one, find the incum- find out, find the incumbents in the industry that I want to get into. And of those incumbents, now filter them and only look at the, the ones that are greater than 10 years old, have greater than 1,000 employees, have greater than 10 or $20 million of revenue. And then here's the important part. Imagine rebuilding that company if you had a deep understanding of today's technology stack. Number two, imagine rebuilding that company if you had a deep understanding of today's digitally native consumers. And number three, imagine rebuilding that company today without that legacy stakeholder baggage that tends to hold these companies back from the innovation that, that needs to happen. And I think that framework has worked very well for us. Uh, I think it w- could work very well for others, but back to this idea. Like, I think that, you know, those those airlines have not innovated, but the people sitting on the little tube are, are different consumers now. And I think that there's, there's opportunity there. I think whoever has that first mover advantage, whichever one of those airlines ends up being the most forward thinking, this is not, innovation is not like, how do we find an, uh, you know, an internet uh, device on the, on the plane that adds another hundred megabits a second to the consumer, you know, whatever. No, it's, it's like, actually, which airline could meet the digitally native consumer exactly where they are uh, and, and, and sort of, you know, build their brand that way. Well, and to tie it all together, and, and, I, and God knows I'm a bit of a cynic, but I think this is where you get into, you know, sort of tying back to your three things, your three rules of, you know, your brand and, and what people perceive you to be. I think that there, by and large, is a perception that airline travel, at least in the U.S., is a commodity business. It's meant to be traded at the lowest common denominator. People are looking for a cheap airline ticket to get to that that cool place they want to go. Um, and so a lot of it for folks who are it, discretionary travel, it's 
you know, um, it's, it's, it's almost always, you know, based on time and price, you know, when can you get me there and what's it going to cost? Whereas when you talk about things like bump, um, you know, and it'd be clear folks listening, like I don't have any vested interest in bump. I'm not an investor. I spent a lot of time listening to Paul talk about it. So I, I know about it. I think when you think about that, you're talking about how to talk to someone about one of the most personal and emotionally connected decisions they're ever going to make in their life, childcare. And, and you're, you're saying, Hey, we're going to be somebody that you can trust, somebody you can believe in, somebody who's going to, who's going to tackle certain things that are, are pain points for you that keep you from the enjoyment of being a mom. Like obviously an insurance company is like the ultimate mom enjoyment killer. And you're saying, Hey, like we're going to, we're going to, we're going to try and get rid of those mom enjoyment killers. And I, I, you know, I think that's the, you know, you're, you're tackling that and that's your, you know, alongside transactions that's your North star. Well, yeah. Uh, and, and again, this might, maybe the episode's getting a little long and you know, the people that dropped off at the 50% mark are going to miss this and we'll <laughs> talk about it more in a, in a future episode, but here, here's the deal. Uh, what you just described there, this notion that, that people see air travel as a commodity thing, you know, get me from A to B as cheap as possible. You're not wrong there, but, but, uh, you know, uh, this is a half baked thought and I'll have it ready for the next episode. But here's the thing, uh, brute, when you're starting something new, whether it's, you know, our company or a new airline or new startup, whatever it is, uh, brute force is what you use to get off the ground. You have to just brute force your way, figure out how to acquire customers. You're probably not going to have a brand yet. You're not going to know all these things. You just have to get started and that's understandable. But the, here's the part that I'm starting to recognize now uh, personally is that, uh, at a certain point, what happens is there's, there's a a certain sameness, a certain sameness across everything. So for example, like you're right, airlines tend to be, you know, a commodity business, but why is it that I choose to fly United on a regular basis versus you choose to fly, you know, American or whatever it is you fly usually. Now we can joke all day, like my airline choice sucks. Yours does too. Right. But (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is like the Nike Walmart or the Nike versus Adidas thing, right? Like, you know, at a certain scale, the shoes are all the same, but some people choose Nike, other people choose Adidas. Here's where I'm going with this. It's about at, at a certain scale, it becomes about brand. Uh, and this goes back to rule number one uh, of the of the invisible game. That brand's not what you say it is, it's how they perceive you and, and really how they perceive themselves alongside you. So here's where I'm going with this. Um, the, the most important lesson I think I'm starting to recognize now, and I'll hopefully have a better way to talk about this in the next episode, is this idea that you have to actively, proactively, consciously uh, work towards a, 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 a business and a brand that forces the consumer to choose whether they see themselves in the way you see the world, but you've got to not let them compare you to others. And now I, I know that's easier said than done, right? So I'll just say it one more time. You have to let you have to force your customer to choose whether they see the world the way you do, and and simultaneously disallow them from comparing you to others. So when I think about, uh, you know, let's just use our business as an example, as and just as a as a example, okay? So like not. I don't want to make it about us, but I, hopefully this maybe like sparks some thoughts for the listeners and, and, and maybe for you as well. Is like, like I believe that you know, uh, mom's life should be easier, 
and and I think that I want to make you choose whether or not you uh, agree with that. But if like what a lot of other companies do, including us in the earliest days when we were trying to figure things out, we were like, gosh, we're at $33.99 and the other one's at $32.99. Like, do we go down one or do we like, you know, everybody does this, right? Like if you compete on price or features or all this stuff at a certain scale, you'll, you'll stall and you'll stall because you've sort of positioned yourself to be compared against the other thing. You have to make a conscious change and go the other way and say like, it's not that we don't want to serve the price conscious customer. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just that we believe that it shouldn't be hard to have a safe and healthy pregnancy. We believe it shouldn't be hard to extract every dollar that's owed to you by your insurance. We believe it should be, shouldn't be hard for you to know without a doubt whether or not you have the best and most price effective insurance, whether it's life or PNC or anything else. Like if you believe that life shouldn't be so hard for moms, then you can't not choose us. And I think that's kind of when I think about how brands, other brands, particularly like even large airlines should be thinking about this stuff is like, like how do you force more of the, uh, the customers to choose a certain thing? Um, again, I don't know much about airlines, but I think that the, the company that came the closest to this, at least in my limited experience, company that came closest to this is um, Virgin America. They, I don't know if, again, I'm no brand expert, right? But, you know, and I understand that they got acquired and, you know, different people think it was a failure and different people think it was a success or whatever, right? But as a consumer, they were the first airline that I recall that made travel fun and cool and sexy. Uh, I don't know if you ever flew on them. Oh yeah, no, many times. I mean, they, I, they were the first airline that I recall. I, I mean, I'm 40, so I don't feel like I'm old or anything like that, but they were the first airline I remember that ever made the safety video interesting. And then after that, like, you know, some of the airlines started to do it, but prior to Virgin America, I don't remember it being interesting. Well, and there, there, and there, there are other examples, but I think, you know, like JetBlue and then before there were really safety videos, Independence Air, um, you know, Dulles used to have, you know, fun videos where they, where they, you know, played on politics and other things, or not videos, but audio played on politics and other things that were, you know, popular at the time. But you know, I think you bring up a point about you know companies that come into the space and try and differentiate themselves. And I think you know ultimately, I think it's why we see a lot of entrepreneur dollars go more towards the you know the SaaS businesses of of the world or things that are are easily changeable as you learn about your customer and how they perceive you. You know, you can obviously iterate a lot quicker at Bump than um, you know Delta or American or United can in buying new airplanes. And I think that's probably a yeah. good place to, to tee it off um, and and say that we'll we'll get back to this next week. You know, I love talking airlines, so we can we can spend a whole episode geeking out about airlines and bore the heck out of everybody and watch our dwell time drop. I know it. But before we do wrap, um, you know, one thing uh, I'd like to ask people to do as well is you know, we're a few episodes in at this point, um, so uh, you know, I want to ask you guys what's working and what's not. Um, you know, just just going back to Paul's three rules. You know, let's figure out how you guys perceive us. What parts of the show do you like? What parts of the show do you not like? Um, you know, do you like Paul? Do you like me? Uh, you know, obviously you like me. Um, but no, I mean, like, let's figure out what works and what doesn't, and let's figure out what we can bring you guys that's valuable. Um, we love you guys that are submitting questions, and you can keep doing that at show at resultsjunkies dot com. You can also hit us up on social media. Paul is at Paul Singh on uh, Twitter, and I am at Pizza in Motion. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, we we all we want to answer your questions, but we also want to be topical and interesting. So tell us what you love about the show. Tell us what you hate about the show. And gosh, we're going to act accordingly, right, Paul? I mean, look, the whole point of this uh, podcast is to uh, give people stuff that, that you know helps them grow their 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 careers and themselves better. So yeah, if we're not doing that, you know, then what in the world are we doing? I don't know. We're sitting in our basement staring at each other on camera. <laughs> oh, that, that, that I think is uh, adulting in 2021, which is a different episode entirely. All right, man. Well, I'm back on airplanes again next week. Uh, are you staying put or are you going to be out on the road? Uh, I am for next week. I'll be uh, on the road uh, just for a day or two. I'll be out in Sioux Falls um, speaking at an event and I'll tell you all about that uh, after that's all done. But uh, yeah, other than that, be cranking. Um, uh, you know, I'm actually hoping to close an acquisition as well. So I'll just kind of hint at that and maybe uh, do, talk about that. Yeah. Do we get to talk about well. it when you guys close it? Uh, can I or will I? Yeah, I? I Will you? Oh, you know, I like to talk. So absolutely. <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right. We're going to hold you to it. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in again until we upload again. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for the time. And for anybody still listening, you know, Ed's so worried about dwell time. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. <laughs> dwell, dwell, dwell. <laughs> <laughs>